Thanks for joining us today as you listen to a portion of a message recorded at Vine Life Church in Boulder, Colorado. If you'd like to connect with us further, you can visit us online at www.vinelife.com. He's finished his tour and he's going to his next assignment. And the fourth passenger is a sergeant from that same unit, American Army Air Corps. So they're traveling along in the train and, and eventually they go in a tunnel. And there's no, there's no light in the coach, so it becomes dark. They go in the tunnel and in the darkness they all hear this. They hear a slap and a kiss. And then the, tr- the coach comes out of the tunnel, and what do they see? But they see the colonel with a red handprint on his face. Now, these people all saw the same thing, nothing. And they all heard the same thing, something. And so they came to some conclusions, conclusions right? Uh, <clears throat> so the uh, <clears throat> little old Italian lady, she was outraged that one of those two guys tried to kiss that girl and got slapped. The young girl's vastly amused because she thinks that one of those two <laughs> tried to kiss her and got the old lady by mistake. The colonel's furious because he knows the sergeant kissed one of them and he got slapped by mistake. Okay? So you have all of these perceptions. The truth of the story is that the sergeant hated that colonel. And in the darkness, he kissed the back of his hand and slapped him himself. That's what really happened. But everybody's trying to interpret their experience in this coach from their who they are. You see? And that's what happens to us when we get confused. Uh, So we get into the land of lies, okay? The land of lies. Um, We have an enemy that Jesus talks about in John 8, 44... And he calls him a liar and the father of lies. And he has a goal. Uh, And his goal is to convince us to believe lies about who God is. Who God is for us and who God says we are. Now, the most dangerous of these lies are not the ones that misdirect us and send us off the wrong way and cause misunderstanding. The most dangerous ones are about who we are. Those are the truly dangerous lies that we can believe, the ones that distort our understanding of our identity in Christ. For example, let's look in Scripture Um, we'll see Luke chapter 15. There's three stories in Luke chapter 15. The third story is about the prodigal son. And I think everybody here probably knows a story. Um, The son went to his father. He's entitled to a third of the estate under Jewish law. He says, give me my money, which is another way of saying, I wish you were dead. You're dead to me. And I'm out of this chicken outfit. And so the father did. He gave him the money. He went to a distant land. He spent all his money in dissolute living in, in unsavory ways. And eventually he was broke and a famine hit the land. And he got a job feeding pigs. Uh, if you can imagine, for a Jewish boy, uh, pretty bitter, pretty tough. And it says in 
starting in verse 17, it says, But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So what lie did this guy believe? He believed he was no longer worthy. He was no longer a son, and he was just hoping for a job. So those lies that he believed brought him to a changed identity, son to servant. You know, my own life, my, uh, my dad died when I was 80. She had cancer, died very quickly, uh, like in a week. And so uh, everybody here probably has been eight. Has anybody here not been eight yet? I guess we've all been eight. And you know how eight-year-old minds worked. You had one once upon a time. And when my dad died, I was interpreting my experience. And one of the lies that was offered to me is my dad's dying was punishment. I had done something wrong, and God had killed my dad. Another lie that was presented to me was around guilt and shame. You see, in those days, we just found fire. The wheel was on the way. It was a while back. And one of the unknown things was um, divorce. And so in my school, there were no kids that didn't have fathers. There were no single parents. And I knew I would be the one. I would stand out. I would be different. And I felt guilty about that because I thought, well, maybe my schoolmates would believe that first lie that I was a bad kid and God killed my dad. You see? How we think and how we imagine things. So then I thought, well, maybe, maybe God took my dad away because I just didn't deserve him. I just wasn't good enough, right enough, the good son. So those are the things that an eight-year-old guy can imagine. Now, let me ask you a question. When you think about this last week, just say this last week or so, more or less, and think about, did you have an opportunity to deal with some lies? Uh, For example, did uh, unworthiness show up somewhere for you and maybe you were disappointed but you didn't deserve what you wanted? Or maybe, uh, maybe it's about inadequacy. I failed. I failed because of who I am. I'm a failure. I always fail. Or worse, I didn't try because I was afraid I'd fail because I always fail. Maybe that came up to you in some way. Maybe last week, maybe last week you felt like a victim. And maybe last week you had a moment where you felt God was disciplining you. He was punishing you because of you were outside his will. You were rebellious. You were disobedient. You weren't enough, whatever. Did you have some of those things come up? Or maybe you have them come up in your children? or maybe in your co-workers. We're all vulnerable to those lies. 
every one of us. And they're all connected to our identity. The second problem we have is myopic vision. Uh, the dictionary defines myopic vision as a lack of foresight or discernment, a narrow view of something. So sometimes in the moment of our experience, particularly bad ones, we're not able to recognize God's teaching us something. We're not, we, don't, we don't get that. We're over in unworthiness and punishment and, and all those kinds of things. When in fact what's really happening is God's depositing something in us that later on will be important. I can't tell you the number of men I've talked to and ministered to over the years who lost their dad at a young age and they hadn't gotten over it. They were still hung up in those lies. But God deposited something in me through that experience, which at the time made no sense, okay? But later on was really valuable. So we get confused and we get myopic when we're trying to understand what God's doing. And in doing that, we can fall into judgment. We can fall into frustration. We can fall into anger. We have a lot of places that we can go that God never meant for us to ever, ever go. That's why it's important that we have some understanding of the environment we're operating in and the landscape we're navigating through. Because if we miss this, we wander around, even unintentionally, interfering with God who's leading us further into life in Christ. You see what I mean? That's what we do. We wander around that way. Because we can't see it. We just can't see it. We're like the people in the train car. We're in the dark. And when we come out into the light, then we can understand. But we have to get into the light. Now, how do we get into the light? Well, the way we get to the light is this next axiom. And this axiom says this. It says, whatever God is going to do through us, he'll first do it in us. Does that make sense? Through us, in us. Now, this truth, it's a self-evident truth. I bet you everybody here has experienced it. What this truth does is it allows us to reframe our experience in the context of what God is doing in our life. The defeats and the victories both are deceptive. The only truth is what God's doing in our life. So I'm going to put a picture up, or Reed's going to put up a picture, and everybody in this room, probably everybody in the Western world has seen this drawing before. And this drawing... Usually the idea behind this drawing is to make the point that people can see the same thing differently. And if you think back to the first time you saw this picture, some of us saw an old hag. Some of us saw a young girl. And we were amazed. That's not why I'm putting this up here. The reason I'm putting it up here is this. If you think whatever you saw the first time, when you had the information that the other was there, your perception shifted, didn't it? 
when all of a sudden somebody said, oh, no, it's not a young girl, it's an old lady there. You start looking for the old hag, and you will find her. And the same thing with the young lady. We have the ability to shift our perspective. We have the ability to reinterpret everything in our life and frame it in the context of who God is for us and what He's doing through us. We can do that. God gave us that ability. In walking in a life of discipleship with Jesus, in the follow-me place, to get our perspective in the right place so that our perceptions are calibrated to what God is doing, we have to ask two questions all the time. The first question is, Jesus, what are you doing here? may not phrase it that way, you know, but sometimes, huh? Sometimes, oh, what are you doing here? Okay. What are you doing? We have to ask him. Why? Remember one of those axioms? He can only meet you where you really are. Remember another one? He's always present and at work. These are things we need to write on our hearts because they drive the awareness of life in Christ every day, all the time. Jesus, what are you doing here? And the second question is this. As we come into the understanding of that answer, Jesus, how do I show up? How do I respond? Where are you leading me through this experience? And if we will ask ourselves those two questions, then we anchor our perspective in divine truth rather than human imagination or anything like that. In Luke 2.52, we read, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. In other words, Jesus didn't just show up fully formed. Jesus had a diaper. Probably sassed his mama. Hard to imagine, but I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, He grew because God was depositing things in him so that he could release them to us. What God is going to do through you, he'll first do in you. And Jesus is the perfect model of that. He goes on, and in John 5, 19 and 20, Jesus says, I only do what the Father does tell me to do. In verse 19, it starts, and Jesus is speaking. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. Father, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? That's the question Jesus walks around with during those developmental years in his ministry. And whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. In other words, Jesus shows up in the way the Father is leading him. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. Wow. How could we go wrong with that? How could we possibly go wrong with that? We're called into... This is, this is kind of a cool word, but... Or maybe not to you. Maybe it's just me. It's kind of a cool word. It's cruciform. Cruciform. And it's sort of a 
sophisticated way of saying cross-shaped, okay? And Jesus calls us all into a cruciform journey. First of all, he models and he calls us into unity. And you can see that in John 17, verses 10 and 11. Now, this to me is an amazing place, this John 17, because I feel like I'm eavesdropping in a very private and a very intimate conversation with the Father. And Jesus allows his disciples and ultimately us to listen in. And on the way, he says this, starting in verse 10, All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they're in the world. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. That's the call to unity. It's the unity of the body of Christ. It's the unity of the body with Christ. And secondly, Jesus calls us into community. He models this, and he says in John 13, verses 34 and 35, A new commandment I give you, that you would love one another as I have loved you. Love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And in Galatians 6, Paul echoes this in the first two verses, and he says this, Brothers, if anyone caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Jesus calls us into the vertical unity with the Father and the Son, and the horizontal unity with each other. All in love, all in kindness, all in truth. What the Father does through us, he's first going to do in us. That's true. We need to write that on the heart of our awareness along with these other axioms and not slide over it too quickly. Because when we do, when we ask those questions, Jesus, what are you doing here? And how can I show up, Lord? Then that allows us to partner with him to do the thing he sought to do the most. And that was to bring glory to God. Amen? Amen. Luke, you want to close us out? Do you have a mic? Oh, on the way. Bless you guys. Happy Palm Sunday. Awesome. Record short service.